1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, it says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Graham, if you could put that image up, that would be really helpful. Now, on Thursday, I was preparing a handout, which you won't get today, you'll get it in three weeks. It's a comprehensive handout in terms of where I see inner healing sitting in the narrative of the New Testament in terms of changing and becoming more like Jesus. I'll explain what it means shortly. And one of the illustrations that God gave me was the rings of a tree trunk when they're cut down and chopped down. And if you look at the rings of a tree trunk, each ring represents the year of that tree's life. And if you're an excellent tree surgeon, you'll be able to look at that trunk and say, that was a year of drought, and that ring would suggest a year of plenty. I couldn't do that, but an expert can. And if you can imagine your life being like a trunk of a tree, and each ring is a year. Now, some of us hopefully are not chopped down, and we've still got a few more years to grow. Now, in the evening, Andy and Jackie Lester were facilitating a very good powerhouse meeting we had. And Jackie brought this very same image. So I was very encouraged, and so was she, as we hadn't, con we hadn't talked. But I knew the Lord was saying something through this, and there's only a small amount I can say this morning. But if you can imagine, each one of those rings on that trunk is a year of your life. Now, I'm 55 this year, so let's say I've got 55 tree, tree rings on. I can't possibly recount, and I've got a sharp memory, sharper than most. But if you were to tell me, Simon, can you recount everything that happened to you in 1967? I could get no further than maybe 10 minutes, because it's the year I started school, so I could talk about that for 10 minutes. God knows every second of every minute of every hour of every context that my life was shaped in 1967. If I went to 1987, I'd say, well, Simon, you know, give me what you can tell me from 1987. Well, I got married in 87 and a number of things, and I could probably fill half an hour. But I couldn't tell you everything, of every moment, of every day, every evening. I couldn't tell you every environment, every context, everything that shaped my life. That is only God who can do that. And thank God we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he does know us from beginning to end, everything. He knows the words on our mouth before they're even sort of out. But it got me reflecting how complex we are as human beings. How complex our histories are. And the things that have shaped us, good or bad, quite often we can't even remember them. And when we look at this subject, which we'll look at now in a healing, it is the Holy Spirit who's the one who needs to be doing the diagnosis and the diagnostics, not us. It's not formulaic. This isn't about trying to find something in our past to excuse us from something in the present. It's actually, it's actually inviting the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, through His presence as well, to sanctify, to process, to help us to become more like Jesus. And some of us, we have had things that have happened to us in our past 
that have shaped who we are. They've shaped our emotions, they've shaped the way we think, they've shaped the way we behave, they've shaped the control mechanisms in our life. And because we live in the West, if it's not physical and biological, we tend to poo-poo it. But actually, there are very real things that make up our humanity, these complex rings. Now, if you want to put the first slide on, Graham, because I put down here a word study. You don't have to do it. It'll be in the study notes I give out later. But the word sozo is the word used more often than not to, re- to talk about healing, salvation, and wholeness in the New Testament. If you read through the Gospels, sometimes Jesus will say when he's healed someone physically, your faith has made you whole. Sozo. Sometimes your faith has healed you. Sozo. Your faith has made you whole or saved or healed. And this word sozo, it's far more than just simply the day I became a Christian, the day the Lord actually saved me and brought his grace into my life. It's an ongoing, continual process of being made whole and complete and being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we move on to the next one, because I I want to push through this quite quickly. In a healing, it's a ministry of the Spirit, not human ideas. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit is a person. He knows the things that have shaped our history, as I looked at that with the tree trunk. It's not a formula. It's not a case of guessing what may or may not be the issues. The Holy Spirit is well able to locate in our history and in our life things that may have bruised us, may have damaged us, anything... Generally speaking, I think what happens to us between the womb and 12 years of age shapes the rest of our lives. And I know men and women who've forgotten far more than I do on this subject, who've got a far greater theological mind than me that would be able to articulate it far better, that would say that's absolutely right. I say it because it's it's very easy, we'll look at the reasons why we do it, to poo-poo and suppress this kind of subject. It's faith in Jesus, not formulas. I put down here watching out for confirmation bias. What that means is a confirmation bias is when you hear something or see something that confirms what you want to hear. So some of us in this room may think, I don't believe in inner healing, I think it's a load of rot. And we will look to hear something that will confirm that bias to keep it at a distance. On the other extreme, you get people that think every single issue that we've got that needs sorting out is an inner healing issue. And that confirmation bias will be anything they hear, ah, oh, you need inner healing. Ah, oh, you, need, you need ministry prayer. And we need to watch out for that confirmation bias on a subject like this. It's not a substitute for repentance. Now, many of you will know my history. I was adopted. I didn't know my real dad. I've received significant healing on that. And I don't have attachment or adoption issues to sort through unless the Holy Spirit says there's something we need to go deeper on. I'm healed up on that. Now, if I start losing my temper with Fiona, if I start trashing my marriage, if I start to behave in a way that is in the here and now utterly ungodly, it is totally inappropriate for me to go back to a past thing that happened to me that God has healed hook it out and say, well, I'm like that because of this. 
I know of people in this church who are no longer here who were healed of significant inner healing issues. Genuinely have testified to people how God has set them free from things in their past, but who are now not living for Jesus, but are blaming their past for the here and now not living for him. This is not a substitute for ongoing life in Jesus, ongoing sanctification, ongoing repentance and faith in the here and now. Andrew Murray quote, I find this really helpful. He was a Scottish theologian, 19th century. And he said this. He said, for every you can look at yourself in the context of having 10 looks at Jesus Christ. So for every 10 looks and visions you have of Jesus, look at yourself and look at others. And I find it extremely helpful. Because what inner healing is not is constantly digging up the old man, looking at the past, and revamping the old man and revamping the past. It's in the context of being called to follow Jesus, to enter the kingdom of God, to walk with him. And every now and again, there may be something that is identified that needs to be sorted through. Let me give you an illustration of this. This week, I'm taking my car for its MOT and service. And Fiona would say I've become a mechanical hypochondriac. Every noise, I think to myself, what's going to happen? I've got the money in the bank to pay it, but I don't want to do it. If I can get away with it, but you've got got to give it to to the garage. And suddenly Colin Fox becomes a very important person in my life. And everything he says, oh, you know, whatever you say, Colin, I'll do in terms of cars. Now, you take your car every year to be serviced, to be MOT'd. It's everything you do every year. It's part of the process of running a car. You put the right fuel in, you check the oil, water, etc. Now, every now and again in between services and MOTs, your clutch may go or your radiator may pack up. And that needs to be fixed. But that's not the same as an MOT or a service. It's something that needs to be fixed because it's gone wrong in between services and MOTs. We are called to follow Jesus Christ. And the car MOT service equivalent for all of us who are Christians is regularly worshipping, regularly feeding on the scriptures, regularly praying, sharing our faith, living as we do in community opting into everything that God has for our lives. Now, every now and again, something may go wrong or something may be surfacing in our life, like a clutch fail, that we think, ah, this needs a little bit more attention. In my life, John Griffiths was spotting it back in 1985. And he gave me some very helpful scriptures to get me back into the church I should be in and under the leadership I should be in to begin the process of getting sorted out. And so it's not a substitute for sanctification. When your clutch is fixed, you don't keep the car in the garden or in the, in the yard waiting for the next clutch to be healed or fixed. You get out and drive it. And when the Lord identifies and sorts something out in our life, one of the reasons we know we're free, and it's Jesus who's freed us, is that we go on becoming more like him rather than sitting down and looking at the next self-help group we can find to talk about the problem that's just been solved. That is not biblical sanctification. This is not psychotherapy or a self-help group. 
This is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit of God in the Trinity who identifies and breaks through and brings us into freedom to become more like Jesus. Now, how do we know we may need something looking at? And the reason I'm saying and talking on this is in October, October the 7th, we're going to put a day aside. Uh, we're going to invite Dan, people that Kathy McQueen knows who've worked with Flame International. They're an offshoot of L.L. Grange. I've met up with Brenda. And I'm happy that her distribution and thinking on this, it, there's a sufficient overlap for it to actually be a real blessing to those of us who opt in and come. And I'll explain more later on that. But October the 7th, keep it in your diary. But how do we know there may be something wrong. Well, there are parallels with the physical body. Now, in your physical body, you may exhibit at times pain, temperature rise, and sensitivity in your physical body in certain areas. What does that, and how does that translate into the inner man? There are times when some of us have just got a pain inside that isn't going to go away. When fatherhood issues are touched on in my life, there was a pain there, and the temperature started to rise. You, get a, you know when you've got a temperature, when your temperature rises? Well, inside, there can be anger issues. There can be all kinds of explosions going on that are way beyond the immediate context that those explosions are taking place in. And sometimes people can be Overly sensitive. The body, when the body gets hurt, I had a neck problem here once and, a, and in my back. And the muscles can sometimes splint the wound and they harden around the, the area that's not actually well or in pain. And there are sometimes people who need inner healing, they harden internally, emotionally. They're, just, they're like Mr. Spock, they're dead from the neck down because they've been so traumatized or they've been in environments that are so abnormal I would suggest it's totally abnormal not to shed a tear when a relative dies that is abnormal if you lose a father or a mother or a son or a daughter and you say oh I didn't cry I didn't lose a single tear I would say you're in total denial Jesus wept when Lazarus was in the womb in the, in the tomb Jesus wept and we are to be whole physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And there are parallels with the physical body. Is there another slide after this or not, Graham? All right, come back then. Come back. Come back to this one. There are parallels with the physical body. I can remember praying with a guy. He's not in this church anymore. And he had real... I, mean, I won't go into the details in case some of you know him, but there were traumatic issues in his life. And every time the Holy Spirit began to move in a meeting in worship, he felt this incredible pain here. He, at one point, he thought he might have been having a heart attack. And I remember talking with this guy. We took him out back of the church, Fiona and myself, and one or two, and we started chatting with him. And we started praying, and we came back to pray with him again. And actually, there came a point, I won't bore you with the details, where the Holy Spirit gave a particular word of knowledge about his history. And all kinds of stuff happened. And he got completely free. The pain went. Because the pain was actually internal. Because of this thing that actually had happened in his past. 
I'm deliberately being vague because some of you will know who this person is, but if he was here, he'd be able to testify to it. So, also with the physical body, you've got, so, you know, but your physical body exerts pain, it can have a temperature. Sometimes you can talk to people about something that's really not that important. But internally, they they, they, there's this rage and anger. Have you ever had that where you've talked to someone, their reaction to something that's so innocuous, you think, wow, where's all that coming from? Where on earth is all of that stuff coming from? And it's a temperature raise that actually is way beyond where it should be. And it's usually something that's internal that hasn't been addressed by the Holy Spirit. Not always. I used to let myself off the hook wrongly by saying I've got righteous anger about these things. Have you ever done that? Oh, I'm righteously angry about this. I'm feeling how God feels about this. And you think, no, it's not. It's your own unrighteous anger, Simon, because there are issues that you need to look at and you're not prepared to look at them. Let me move on. So how, why, and when? How do we know? Why do we do it? When do we do it? We'll come on to when in a minute. Again, parallels with the physical body. If you're physically not feeling well, you go to a doctor and get a diagnosis. Unless, you're a, unless you've got a phobia about doctors. But if you go to a doctor and they give you a diagnosis. Well, within a healing, the Holy Spirit's the doctor. You don't visit the doctor. He comes to you. He's living in your life. And uh, we allow him to identify through prayer, through words of knowledge, through insight, through Holy Spirit-led counselling, not the sort of psychobabble that the world projects and so on, we allow the wonderful counsellor to draw out things that may or may not be, well, will be issues that we need to look at and address. Diet, you know, you look after your physical body by eating correctly and drinking correctly and so on. One of the diets that we need to take on this whole subject of sanctification, inner healing, that whole package, but keeping them separate, inner healing isn't just sanctification. A healthy diet on the Word of God. A healthy diet in the Scriptures. A healthy understanding of who Jesus is. The reason I read that reference to John Griffiths, give me those verses... Earlier in the meeting, I felt God saying, some of us need to see Jesus as our vision, as our magnetic north. We've lost sight of the magnetic north, who is Jesus. A compass will always look to the magnetic north, the needle. Where's the north? And Jesus is our vision. And some of us have perhaps strayed a little bit from Jesus being our center of vision. Now, when John Griffiths gave me that word... And it was a very significant one. He was correcting a wrong thinking. He was correcting wrong practice. It's okay just to chop and change what church you go to. It's okay to be selective in what you think you want to hear from the Bible. And what John was saying was, Simon, go back to Bassett Church. Go back to your pastor there. This is the scripture, James 3. That's getting back onto your magnetic north. And we need to do that. That's a healthy diet. Now, when you get back on track in that healthy diet of living out the word of God, living and honoring the local church you're in and so on and so forth, 
Not long after that, the Holy Spirit then threw, actually, a guy called Ken McGreevy, he's dead now, but he came down here in 1988 for the first time, and he had a very powerful word of knowledge. For me personally, I couldn't believe it. It was the first time I'd ever heard anything like it. And it went right into the core of, of my inner being in terms of adoption, not knowing the father heart, not knowing who God was in that place because of being illegitimate. He didn't know any of that. It was a public meeting. And he prayed for me. Now, just before this, I'd said to everybody around me, mates of mine, Sean Ide was one, and I think Martin, you might have been one. I don't know if Richard was there, but one or two. Oh, it's only the folk in Lordswood who go down when they're prayed for. They're the only ones who go down. This is all, this is all you know, fooey. And I was really quite uh, resistant. I thought, no, this is, this is, you know, we'd never seen it happen in Bassett Church first time. And he called me out and said, the gentleman in the pink shirt, I wore pink in those days. And then uh, he started prophesying over me this word through the Spirit, and it was going right into that tree trunk, it was going right back into one of those rings on my tree trunk, bringing the presence of Jesus, bringing the adoptive grace of God into my life, and bang, I went straight out. And there was a lady called Viv Lobb sitting next to Fiona and said, he wouldn't do that, would he, unless it was real. <laughs> and um, I got up a different person. Paul Hawkins, who's also dead now, that's right, people hang around with me. They don't always die. Um, but, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a mass murderer or anything like that. Well, Paul Hawkins, he, about six months later, nine months later, he said, there's something different about you, Simon. And he said, I think I know what it is. Oh, well, then, Paul, what is it? He said, you've always, got, you always had the knack of sticking the hammer on the nail, hitting the nail on the head. But now you take people's thumbs away before you do it. And... Uh, <laughs> It was very accurate, was it not, Martin? It was very accurate, very, very accurate. And so diet is important. Exercise. I think it's important to keep fit. I have to say that because I pay good money to go to a local uh, gym to do that. I've put weight on since I've been there, and I try to make out it's muscle, not fat. But uh, there we go. That was a long time ago. But I'll go there. I'm reasonably fit, uh, I think. Not as fit as Richard. He did a marathon the other day, didn't you? You've got to be half a marathon, half a marathon, but reasonably fit. Now, what would be the exercises we do to stay fit spiritually? Well, I would suggest it's praise and worship. I think it's really important that we exercise our spirit and our heart and praise the Lord. None of this, I don't feel like it. None of this, oh, well, you know, I just want to sit down and be quiet and have a corporate sleep. It's exercising our spirit and exercise. And sometimes we have to speak to our inner man and say, get on with it. Worship the Lord. It's in a handout, but I like this scripture a lot. Psalm 43, I think it is. I'll go to it. Psalm 43, I think it is. Actually, it's in the handout. I've got one here. Why do I need to do that? It's this. Yeah. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And sometimes you may not feel like praising God. There are a lot of times when I feel, oh, I just don't feel like getting out of bed. Well, actually, that's not true. I like to get out of bed, but there are a lot of things I don't feel like doing. 
but you exercise your will. I will praise the Lord. I will seek his face. I will make him my vision. I will seek him in the day. I will seek him in the night, whatever, whatever, whatever. And there are times when we have to discipline ourselves to do that. Inner healing is not a substitute for these disciplines. It's not a, it's not a substitute for regularly dieting on the word, regularly praising and praying the Lord, and all the other things we have to do in life. God won't do for you in a moment what in his word he said will take a lifetime to process and do. He will sort out something en route that needs sorting out to help you grow, but it's not a substitute. And then surgery. Last time I had surgery, involuntarily, involuntary, was when I had my appendix out, 1989. I had voluntary surgery in 2003 for a particular reason. I don't have any more children now. But um, the, uh, since then... But surgery, when you go for surgery, you, you don't perform surgery on yourself. Not even doctors perform surgery on themselves, unless they're Bruce Willis in an action film doing it on his own. I mean, very few people. Would you trust to have surgery and do it yourself? DIY surgery. Would you trust yourself, DIY? You know, if you needed open heart surgery, Liz, would you trust yourself to do the DIY? If you needed an appendix out, Phil, would you trust yourself to do that? We wouldn't trust ourselves to do DIY surgery. Now, sometimes in the body of Christ, we need the help of others to do some spiritual surgery for us. We need others' input. Not always, but sometimes we need others to come alongside and say, for this season, I want to stand with you to help you through this particular issue that's clearly surfacing in your life. Now, it... Once you've had surgery and you're out of hospital and you're healed, the surgeon doesn't necessarily become your best mate who you're sending Christmas cards to, oh, I want to meet up with my surgeon again. I mean, sometimes you may develop a friendship with a surgeon, I don't know. But uh, the people who perform the surgery on you, they may not be your best friends. They don't have to be. Sometimes it's helpful to have them, sometimes it's not. One of the things that's a problem sometimes if you've been in a church as long as I have, you can wrongly accommodate things in people's lives that a new boy on the block won't accommodate. He'll just see straight through it and think, that needs to change. The previous guy has let you off because he's known you for so long. But Jesus is not going to let you off that. That needs to change. And so it's not always closest friends that are the best at doing the surgery. Partly they may have the same blind spots that you have. Partly they may tell you what you want to hear. Thirdly, they may not want to actually lose your friendship if there's something that needs saying that's pretty tough. And don't think this is theory, this isn't. I've had to go to the Lord and say sorry, where I've not brought the full counsel of God to people in a way that, randomly speaking, let's say Mark Starbuck came in. Let's say I did a job swap with Mark Starbuck and I went to Millbrook and he came here. He would see things that needed changing that I do see sometimes but don't address. Likewise, I'd see things in Millbrook that need changing that sometimes he sees but doesn't address. It's not always your best mates that are your best people to have surgery from. Sometimes it's healthy having a little bit of distance. 
And there are people in the church that we can go to who are on the leadership team or people who are mature Christians who we know, who we may not necessarily be best buddies with long term, but in that short little time of surgery, they can be outstanding. I'll give you an example. In my own life, we had a late miscarriage in 1994 and all kinds of stuff surfaced in our marriage that weren't right that wouldn't have probably surfaced had we not gone through that trauma. And the couple who helped us more than anyone else were Les and Pat Gronenberg. Now, they weren't close friends. I was a much closer friend to Alan and others in the church. But Les and Pat, for six to nine months, were priceless. Priceless surgery. There was a degree of objectivity because they didn't know us that well, but they knew us well enough to comment. They were mature enough, wise enough, and had been through the mill themselves to know what was and what wasn't helpful to hear at any one moment in time. And they were very helpful in addressing some of the things, that, you know, and praise God, I mean, those things have been cleared up now, but surgery. Next one. I haven't mentioned this um, very often. Some of the things that cause us to get hurt, bruised, traumatized, and so on, often it can be parents leaving. Often it can be... I've listed a whole lot in the, in the handout, but uh, I think... Well, I'll give, I'll give a list so that you don't think I'm making it up. These are, these are some of the things that we need to be aware of. Um, kind of issues that can damage us internally will vary from person to person, but the obvious ones might include these. Losses of a parent in childhood, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, sexual promiscuity, engaging occult practice, divorce, drug abuse, involvement in religious cults, Freemasonry, miscarriages, generational sin of our parents and grandparents, and so on. There's lots of things that most of us who've been Christians for a while will understand that can cause those kind of issues. One of the things that I'm only going to briefly touch on now in five minutes, because that's all we've, I want to spend on this, and I don't want to spend any more time. Sometimes, and this is, again, I think in the West, we're very poor at this. We either, we, most Christians in the West either don't believe the devil exists or that he's so small in power that he's got no real authority at all to do any damage. Actually, I don't agree with that. I think the devil's got a free hand. He's not in the same place as the living God. He's created. He was created perfect, and now he's fallen, and he's anything but perfect. But there are very real demonic powers and strongholds that attach themselves in certain ways to people. This is such a big subject, you can't touch on it more than a few moments now. And those demonic powers can come in, firstly, through our own personal practice. If we practiced behavior and living that is totally contrary to the word of God in areas like contacting the dead through occult seances and so on, or we have had a particular lifestyle choice that we know isn't right, and it just continues and continues and continues, and we keep worshiping that lifestyle choice, it becomes an idol, and the demonic attach itself to idols because demons like worship. And so anything that we're worshipping other than Jesus, potentially there can be an access point for the demonic. Don't get frightened by this. 
First person I ever encountered who was demonised, we prayed for, was actually up in London, in Pedicthus. It was actually in London Bridge with a lady called Sarah Barlow. And the Holy Spirit exposed something in this woman's life, her history. She started to manifest in a particular way. And you really do feel the joy of the Lord and you think, how puny is this power compared to you, Lord? It is not something you get concerned about, frightened about, run out the door. You just think the devil's power is puny by comparison to the Lord. And if someone is repentant, they will be set free. I have absolutely no, no doubt about that in, in, in every time. So personal practice. Sometimes the environment we live in can be really unhelpful. And I do want to just spend a couple of minutes reading something from the scriptures here. Because what I mean by environment... What kind of atmospheres do we create or have we lived in where the wrong kind of wisdom has actually been present? And if you turn to James 3, you get two types of wisdom. And you don't need to be... The great thing about the book of James is you don't need to really be a theologian to read this. This is one of the easiest books to read in the New Testament. It's very practical, very clear... As long as you know bits and pieces of the Old Testament where he quotes it, it's, it's very straightforward. And I'll just show you by reading this now. Verse 13, Who is among you wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behaviour, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above, which is the one I've quoted already, is da-di-da-di-da. And I can remember, it was actually with Richard Venable, we were living together in Bluebell Road, and it was Richard who pointed this out to me for the first time. This kind of wisdom is demonic, it's spiritual. There's something ugly about people who live or have been brought up in environments where backbiting, jealousy, anger, rage, and so on are the norm. That attracts the demonic. It's, and it's, it's there in the scriptures. It's demonic wisdom. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not God-given. And if we've been in homes or schools or churches or contexts or environments where that kind of wisdom has been prevalent, we can actually, through osmosis, begin to start to practice it ourselves. Most of us can probably think of, or I can certainly think of prayer meetings where you're in, and there's four or five of you praying, or six or seven of you praying, and someone else comes in and they just bring a cloud with them. Have you ever had that? They just bring something, you think, what is going on here? Well, there was a lovely flow of life here, and actually there isn't now. And we're not fighting flesh and blood, we're not having a go against people, but there are times when people can come into your life and you think, what is it that this person is bringing? And it can be all kinds of stuff that James touches on. And it's very, um, it's very subtle stuff. It's very easy to think that we can get polluted demonically by the occult only or by certain practices like, you know, the most grotesque sexual things. James is here saying, your tongue, what's coming out of your heart? What is your motive? 
And he's very clear that kind of wisdom is demonic. It's not always just simply us having a bad day. The enemy can attach himself to it. I don't want to focus on him, but that's one of those areas. Last one. Back to the original one, Graham. Um, Now, just before we do this, this could be an area where we need a bit of Holy Spirit life in terms of confirmation bias. Because there may be Christians here who think a demon can't afflict you or penetrate or cause mischief. And I would humbly suggest you go back to the scriptures and ask the Lord to show you what happened to Peter when he was sifted as wheat, what happened to Judas in the upper room, what happened to Simon the sorcerer, There are more than one or two examples of where the enemy can get a foothold in a believer's life. Some of us may have been brought up thinking, I'm immune from all that because I'm a Christian. Well, I don't think we are. God is not sovereign in the sense that every single thing that happens to you is from him. You have choices, he has choices, and we outwork our faith together with him. And we need to make right choices. And then finally, there's this hereditary generational practice, which I haven't got time to look at now. But there are things that you can sometimes pick up in families that seem to pass on from one to the another. And the Holy Spirit may identify that as something that needs praying. Illegitimacy ran through my family. My great-grand, my grandma, my mother, and myself, all of us born outside marriage. There's a pattern there. It's stopped now. David is married, and I'm pretty confident Amy will as well be. It's stopped, but there's a pattern. And again, we need the Holy Spirit to show us whether that's relevant or not in the here and now for us. It's not formulas. Now, I'm going to give a handout in a few weeks' time. I haven't done it today because a lot of people are away. I will look at this subject again because I think it's important but I don't want to overemphasize it. It's the first time I've ever spoken on it in this church so that gives you an indication that it's not being overemphasized. I've practiced it privately with people but not ever done this publicly. So I will give it one more hit and the October 7th day is open to anybody who would feel they want to come and learn more about this for themselves or how they might be able to help others. Again, I put it all in the handout. 